Well, as some of you know, I'm, I'm a bit of a weather nerd. I enjoy uh, seeing extreme, um, crazy weather events. And for those of you that have seen the news this week, you know that our friends out in western New York in the Buffalo area have received, uh, at last I saw this morning, some areas have received over 78 inches of snow in three days. For those of you that aren't good with measurements, that's like three inches more than me, a full Stephen, uh, and some. They are digging out this morning, and I hate to warn you that digging out season is coming for us as well as I'm sure the cold temperatures have prepared you for this week. But when you think about crazy weather events, one that comes to my mind is shortly after Amanda and I uh, uh, bought our home and we're, we're getting settled uh, here, we uh, had the storm in, what was it, March of 2018, the bombogenesis storm knocked out power. It was a nor'easter. It was all rain and wind. They said if it had been snow, it would have been upwards of four feet of snow. But it was all rain and wind, and it knocked out power in Situate and in Cohasset and Norwell and, and all over the South Shore. But particularly, I think power was totally out in Situate and Cohasset for about two or three days. I remember I was actually out of town uh, when the storm hit, and I was driving back in that night, and I'm driving back in that evening as the power has all been knocked out, and there's limbs down, and just an ugly, destructive scene, and it was very unsettling in some ways, because there were no lights. I was familiar with the roads. I was familiar with the curves. I was familiar with where I was generally, but this environment that I was in that seemed so familiar also seemed so dark and ugly. It seemed as if what was supposed to be was not, and the environment was in some ways turned upside down. We don't need a storm to show us that sometimes that's a situation. Many times, in fact, that is the situation that this world knows often, not just with weather and crazy storms, but with the evil triumphing with the rampant injustice that we see in the world, with the poor run roughshod over, with the voices being taken advantage of. And we see these things and we wonder, is there a source, is there an effort, is there an answer to right these wrongs? And this is the kind of thing that Mary, who would give birth to our King Jesus rejoiced in when she found, when she found out the news that she would give birth to the Messiah. What I want to put before you from our text this morning is that we may rejoice in Jesus because He looks upon the humble and rights the wrongs of our world. Let me say this again. We may rejoice in Jesus because he looks upon the humble and rights the wrongs of our world. Follow along as I read Luke chapter 1, verse 39 to 56. And I invite you to see, I hope what I am going to present from this text is faithful to what God has inspired in his word. That is game. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country. 
to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Two ways we're going to navigate through this text. This text that I believe sets an example for us in calling us to rejoice in this baby Jesus who came. First, in verses 39 to 45, we'll rejoice in the blessing of being known by God. And second, we'll rejoice in the salvation that will be accomplished by Jesus. Rejoice in the blessing, rejoice in the salvation. And in both of these, we'll see our Jesus who looks upon the humble and rights the wrongs in the world. First, verses 39 to 45. Rejoice in the blessing of being known by God. Mary, after she had been told by the angel Gabriel that she would have a child by the supernatural power of God, the Virgin Mary would have a child and it would be this Jesus. She immediately, as verse 39 says, she rose and went with haste into the, into the hill country, into a town in Judah. She went to go visit her relative Elizabeth. Now Elizabeth was herself in the midst of a very unexpected pregnancy. Previously, before Mary found out that she would be with child, Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, who served as a priest in the temple, was told that he and Elizabeth, even though they were very advanced in age, would have a baby. And their baby, John, would serve as a, as a, as a forerunner, as, as one who would, who would make way for the coming of Jesus, the one whom Mary would have. So the Gospel of Luke begins with these two very unexpected pregnancies. And now we find these two women, Mary and Elizabeth, each speaking in this passage here. So Elizabeth blesses Mary in verses 39 to 45 and helps us to see how, this rejo- how to rejoice in the blessing of being known by God. Now this idea of being blessed or enjoying blessings, we see it three times in this, you see it twice in verse 42 and once in verse 45. 
Verse 42, Elizabeth says, blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And then verse 45, blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what the Lord had, of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. Now, it is not uncommon within the church for us to speak a language that we sometimes think we understand and are speaking, but maybe we aren't so much. And a Christianese kind of language, terminology. If you're, if you're new with us or you're perhaps new in checking out the Christian faith, it is quite likely that words are said in our worship services that you hear and say, hmm, what does that one mean? And it's quite likely even that many of us would have various definitions for words that we would use. One such example would be, be blessed. If somebody is blessed, does it mean that they, um, that they are uh, uh, enjoying great favor in, in, a, in a manner where life just seems to go smoothly? It's raining out, but when they go outside, the sun comes out, the puddles dry up, all goes well. All the lights driving down the road, all of them mysteriously and wondrously always turn green. Maybe you've experienced unexpected financial windfall. You can't help but think as you watch the dollars flow into the bank account, I am blessed. You see it on social media sometimes when people uh, uh, talk about uh, uh, interesting uh, uh, positive things that go on in their life and they use hashtag blessed to describe things are going well. Now, there's a level of truthfulness to that as we understand blessing and the goodness of God to us. But the foundation of what it means for someone to be blessed by God is not in things that are good that have come to them or that, that they own or that make their day better. But according to Elizabeth, what it means to be truly blessed is to be known by God. Not to be known by God like a ruler knows his subjects, but to be known by God like a father loves his child. We're going to gain additional insights from Mary in verses 46 to 55 in a moment, but suffice to say, Elizabeth rejoiced that Mary was blessed by God, and particularly she rejoiced because God had set His love upon her. Because Mary believed that God was able to do the supernatural, the miraculous, in bringing forth this baby that would be the Savior of his people. So ultimately, if we see verse 45, and she says, blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord, we can see that blessedness is found not in the great financial or, or economic or health windfalls that someone enjoys, but very simply, very humbly, blessedness is found in whether one knows God through his Son, Jesus. Would you like to be blessed? Who wouldn't, right? We'd all like to be blessed. We'd all like to be able to go through the next week. Thanksgiving coming up, short work week, a lot to do, preparing for Thursday. Holidays coming up, there's a lot of gifts to buy, but maybe money's a little tight. There's a lot that lies on the calendar, many, many good things over the course of the next month. But busyness leads to stress. So if I said, would you like to be blessed? You say, I would like to be blessed, too blessed to be stressed. Well, let us not mistake what our world understands as meaningful blessings with the true blessing of God. And so let's consider, are you blessed? How do I evaluate whether or not I am blessed by God? 
well, let this part of the sermon, let God's Word here serve as, as a warning light or as a sensor for you to examine. You ever driving your car down the road and some light comes up on your dashboard? Giving you a warning. Maybe the tire pressure is low. Maybe something the engine needs to get checked out. Well, let's do a warning. Let's, do, let's check whether or not we are blessed in the sense that Mary and Elizabeth are experiencing and talking of here. What is your attitude, not towards the good things that God can give you, but towards God? Do you love gifts above the giver? Do you love the creation above the Creator? What captivates your soul? What causes you to get out of bed in the morning? What consumes your mind, your thoughts, your meditations? What is the greatest good you know? You might give thought towards your attitude towards God's Word, towards His prayer, towards regularly gathering with His saints in worship. If your heart is cold towards His Word, if your heart is cold towards fellowship with other Christians, if your heart is, is cold and hard to get started in prayer, let that serve as a warning light to you. Oh, let's give consideration here. Let's give examination. Do the fires of my heart need to be lit in seeing what it means to be blessed and seeing the wonder of the blessing of knowing God through Jesus has come, who has come? So let's tune in and check this out. Now, if you want to look back at verse 41... It says, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, Mary traveled three or four days' journey on foot after she found out that she would be with child from her home up in Nazareth down to where Elizabeth was in, in, in Judah. And Mary arrives, and it says Elizabeth that, that, that um, uh, when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary in verse 41, that, that the baby in her leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She had proclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women. In these first couple of chapters, we get a wonderful illustration of the work of the Holy Spirit of God and what He does. The Holy Spirit is prominent throughout the Gospel of Luke. Now, sometimes we don't really know what to do with the Christian Trinity. That might be your experience where you're like, okay, I see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. How do all of these work together? Well, the early pages of Luke give us a guide in helping to understand this. Scripture presents us with the fact that there, are, there is one triune Godhead. There are three persons of the Godhead, all eternally existent. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And when we consider the roles, the work, things that each of these do, this serves as a great illustration of the work of the Holy Spirit. What the Holy Spirit does is He serves proclaiming for shining a light on the glory of Jesus Christ the Son and the glory of God the Father. So the Holy Spirit invigorates and gives, gives birth to the song of the hearts of those who encounter God that they may praise and rejoice in the Son of God who has come. So you might think of being filled with the Holy Spirit and it might be a little intimidating to you. If you walked in this morning and I shook your hand at the door and said, Jim or Susie, are you filled with the Holy Spirit today? And I'd say, oh, what does that mean? Are you expecting me to start speaking in tongues? Is some here feeling a little under the weather? Do you mean to lay my hands on them and try to heal them? Is it this manner of being uncomfortably happy? 
you know, like, 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 well, I had a rough week at work. I got a bad job review. I got home. I found out I need a new roof. My dog got run over. It was, it was, it was, it was, it was a great week. I filled with the Spirit. And you got this like pain smile on your No, 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 no. That's not what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to simply rejoice in the Son of God and the glory of God who breaks through in the, 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 the seemingly impossible to come and redeem and set apart His people to enjoy Him forever. And so how can you be filled with the Holy Spirit? Simply by making a regular habit to praise Jesus. To recount the goodness of God to others. No mistake, church family, we can go to the coffee shop or run into one another at the grocery store and talk about what the, what's going on in the weather, talk about the latest news that's happening and kind of fill our time, but that doesn't fill our hearts. In the church, we have the great opportunity to do what? To praise Jesus together. We have the great opportunity to recount for one another not some kind of fake artificial smile on our face as if all is well, but to recount one another the goodness of God in ministering to us when things aren't so great. Or things are great. You're welcome to rejoice in that. We're able to share with one another, hey, I was having a difficult time this week, and I prayed and God graciously calmed and comforted my heart. Or you can rejoice in and be filled with the Holy Spirit in, in encouraging others that as they are walking through a difficulty, as they are walking through a trial with perhaps a wayward child or having a hard time uh, uh, relating to somebody that's important to their life and needing to have some kind of breakthrough there, you can rejoice with them and share with them. Not in some kind of fake sense, oh, it'll all be all right, but in a manner that in the very uncertainty about whether or not it will be all right as we picture it, a manner that says, can I walk with you to the throne of God's grace in Jesus Christ and pray with you? You may know Christ is our great high priest who has come that we may not carry our burdens that weigh us down on our own, but that we may release them to Him and know that He is with us. That is what the Holy Spirit does in us. The Holy Spirit does not tell you you are on your own. The Holy Spirit rejoices in our heart that Christ has come to us. Would you like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? And you know the wonder of our relationships together in the church as we walk through as we try to do these things together, seeking to rejoice in the Lord. We understand one another. I remember when I was young and, and starting as a, as a pastor, I was serving as an interim pastor at a very small country church way out kind of in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi. And they, uh, Amanda and I were dating, and then we were engaged um, uh, while we were there. And so we would drive out there on Sunday mornings, and I would preach and uh, uh, then somebody at the church would always like take us to lunch or have us in their home for lunch because it was about an hour, 20-minute drive each way, and we would stay for evening service and all that. And one day we get in the car with a couple in the church, a, a very sweet couple who, um, they were probably in their like low 70s, and we're driving to lunch, and, and the man, the, the, the husband is, is uh, about my height, and so he kind of has to bend himself down low to get in the car. And he's groaning and aching as he gets in the car and, oh, you know, and all that. He's like, oh, I just don't feel so good. And, and I, I'm trying, like, you know, sometimes you, you, you try to join in a conversation or you try to sympathize with somebody, but you don't really know what you're saying. And I just say, yeah, I know what you mean. And he's like, no, you don't. He literally looked me in the eye and says, no, you don't. 
And I was like, yeah, yeah, you're right, I don't. Maybe I'll know what you mean in 40 years, but yeah, I'm young and agile and I bend all sorts of ways. Yeah, I get it. In the church, we all have unique and differing experiences. We all have unique and different families, backgrounds, work situations, school situations, uh, 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 all the things that have helped to shape us and make us into the people that we are today. But as people who are all united in the hope of Jesus Christ who has come for us and in His gospel, ones who, if you are in Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in you. None of us is able to say to one another, no, you don't know what I'm talking about. You might say, you know, you don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to the difficulties that I'm uniquely experiencing, but we can all bear with one another and understand and, 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 and uh, seek to hope in the Lord together, the Holy Spirit's work in us, because that is what the Holy Spirit does in all of us as followers of Christ. Does that make sense? We have the opportunity to bear with one another so that nobody ever has to feel as if they are alone in this. So the Holy Spirit helps us to hope in the Lord together. And so we hope in the fact that we have been blessed through the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see that the Lord turns our hearts that are downtrodden, that are gripped in, 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 in frustration and gripped in, in hardship, and He starts to turn those right side up where we no longer fear as if this world is going to destroy us and choke the life out of us, but we now see that Christ the Lord has come, that He reigns over this. And so no matter what is trying to grab me, I, am, I can say, yes, I am too blessed to be stressed, but not too blessed to be stressed because I don't have to worry about my bank account, but too blessed to be stressed because I know my Lord has me in His hand. And so that's how He writes the wrongs that weigh us down and grab hold of our hearts, and stains us with confidence in Christ who has come. See, the blessing that Mary enjoyed in verse 35 was that she believed that the Lord would prove Himself faithful. And maybe that's what you need today. Lord, help me to believe that You will prove Yourself faithful. Because what our worry is, when it weighs us down, is our worry tells us everything that is wrong, but it tells us in a way that the song that we are playing in our mind is telling us God will not be faithful. When in fact, Mary was blessed because she believed. So we rejoice in the blessing of God looking upon the humble. But second, we rejoice in the salvation that will be accomplished by Jesus. This is verses 46 to 56. We move from a pronouncement of blessing by Elizabeth to a song or prayer of praise by Mary. And this is so beautiful. Let me just read this entire song again. Just hear the beauty, the far-reaching nature of the salvation that Jesus who was coming, that He would ultimately accomplish. And then we'll explore more closely. Just listen to this, beginning in verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call Me blessed. For He who has mighty, His mighty has done great things for Me. And holy is His name. And His mercy is for those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with His arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from the throne and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich He has sent away empty. 
He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to His offspring forever. Isn't that beautiful? Three ways we see that we can rejoice in this salvation that would be accomplished by Jesus. First, we can rejoice because this salvation is personal in nature. You hear the overflow of Mary's heart and praise to God in verse 46. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. She doesn't say, I just I believe these things intellectually. No, her heart, her spirit, her soul is magnifying, is rejoicing. She's moved by this. And now lest we think that this is because of her unique role in this event, and Mary does have a very unique role in the coming of Jesus. But lest we think that is what she is getting at, she abolishes such ideas at the end of verse 47. My spirit rejoices in who? God my son? God the little baby who's coming to me? Now what does she say? She says, God my Savior. Do you see that? Do you see that? Yes. Mary needed a Savior, just as we need a Savior. So we don't venerate Mary. Jesus is our mediator. He is our Savior. But we learn from Mary where she needed a Savior. It's a good indication you and I need a Savior. Now what does it mean that He is her Savior? So here's what it means. Mary and the people of Israel, who see reference at the end of this prayer, they were living under Roman rule, under Roman oppression at the time. So they, they, they did not enjoy the full freedoms, the full benefits of living in their own nation under their own rule. They had outside powerful occupiers who came in and imposed great taxes upon them, who put great burdens on them, who made sure to keep their thumb on them, keep them under control. And sometimes you read the Gospels and you read about Jesus' work and you see that Jesus is aware of the situation that the people of Israel are facing under Roman rule, but you see that that is not the greatest concern that Jesus has as to what is weighing his people down. They did not need rescue from Rome. There was a great, more insidious thing that had grips on their hearts, that had grips on their souls, that in fact had them spiritually dead. And that was their own sin and their own hard-hearted rebellion against God. Manifested in a distrust in Him. Manifested in an unwillingness to surrender and submit their lives to Him. And so the people of Israel, they knew they were sinners. And, and so that is why you saw regularly uh, offerings being made in the temple. And yet, for all the offerings that could be made, offerings would atone for sins, but they needed greater, deeper rescue. And Mary rejoices because she knows that the Savior is coming. And we must hear this. All of us must evaluate this. Because if we are not careful, we can fall into the position that many people fell into as they encountered Jesus, and as we're going to read throughout the Gospel of Luke, where they found Jesus to be fascinating, they found Jesus to be useful, they found Jesus to be compelling, but they did not find Him to be their Savior. Many times because they did not recognize the need for a Savior. 
we all must come to grips with the fact that we, Mary included, were born of the seed of Adam, sinners against a holy and righteous God. But God sent another baby to be born that He might rescue us from that sin that is ours and save us. That we may be freed from the chains and the bondage of our own sin. That our hearts might rejoice in our Savior even as they, even, even if we are under Roman rule because we have experienced the, 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 the release of our souls from a far more devious and ugly rule. And that is sin and its effects in our heart. So if you're hearing this and you do not know Jesus as your Savior, this is the most important thing you can give consideration to today or in life. How do I know Jesus? You are blessed by Him by knowing Him as your Savior. I invite you to come to Him. If you have questions about what it means to know this Jesus or want to discuss it further or learn more about it, feel free to find me after our service and I would love to talk with you. I may, probably won't be able to answer all your questions immediately in a small passing conversation in, a, in the lobby, but I would love to help you get on a path to investigating these claims yourself. So the salvation that Mary has is personal in nature. But it's glorious in its wonder. You know what a hallmark reactions to the coming of Jesus in the early pages of Luke? You know what a hallmark is of it? Joy. Joy. The joy that Mary exhibits in her prayer is characteristic of so many responses. If you wanted to make note of these, people are overjoyed as they hear of the coming of the birth of Jesus. In Luke 1, verse 14. In verse 42, where Elizabeth is joyous. In verse 64, so Luke 1, 14, 42, 64. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, verse 13, verse 20, verse 28. All of these just radiating people who, remember Luke is giving eyewitness testimonies to Jesus' is coming, and then and he just keeps finding people who are joyful about the coming of Jesus. Maybe that's another sensor for you. Are you joyful in Jesus, or are you just acquaintance with Jesus? Associates. He does his part, you do yours. No, we want to be joyful in him. This is my prayer for us. We would see how He brings us joy. But not only is this salvation personal in nature, we see in verses 46-49, this Jesus who has done mighty great things for those He brings from death to life, from spiritual death to life. He offers it. He brings that to us. But not only is it personal in nature, but secondly, we can rejoice in this salvation because it transforms the world. You see how He describes what the salvation of Jesus accomplishes more broadly. Particularly in how this upside-down nature of our world, it understands power, it understands might, it understands strength, it understands greatness. What prestige do you have? How many degrees do you have to your name? How many commas do you have in your bank account? How's your physical appearance? How's your health? All the things that we do to measure greatness, to measure, to measure security, to measure strength. But Jesus comes and He warns us warns any who would trust in anything apart from Him. He says in verse 50, His mercy is for those who fear Him. Verse 51, He has shown strength with His arm. What does He do? He scatters the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. 
He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. He has exalted those of humble estate. This is a theme that we will see throughout the Gospel of Luke. It's this divine reversal. It's divine rescue. It's divine reversal. In the Gospel of Luke, find that God reveals Himself to the humble. That He exalts the humble. The kingdom of God, in fact, as Luke 18, 17 says, is only for the humble. Conversely, Jesus has promised to bring down the proud. He pronounces woe on them in Luke eleven forty two. In Luke 10, 21, God hides Himself from the proud, and they are an abomination to Him. And so there's a warning here, there's an exhortation here for us to, to be warned against spiritual pride that would blind us to the glory of Jesus Christ who has come for us. And there's a rejoicing here in Jesus who has come that we who are of humble estate in our, in our hearts and our souls and reverses the nature of this world in order that the humble are not run, run roughshod over. The poor are not violated by those who would take advantage of them. And so this is, the, this is what we see how Jesus is coming and He is remaking this world and promises to ultimately act in full and complete judgment and righteousness when He returns one day. And so all of us, we look around and we like to consider ourselves to be humble. We like to consider ourselves, well, we actually say, yeah, I, I, I think I'm okay humble, but I also, I, I, I need to grow more humble. That's the humble way of saying it. I need to grow more humble. Have you checked out the book, out, Humility and How I Attained It? Just kidding. But we like to think ourselves humble, but the measure of humility as revealed in Scripture is do we submit ourselves under the authority of King Jesus? Our world does not hurt for crying out against injustice or unrighteousness. But what our world hurts to see is the solution. The solution, the ultimate solution for all evil in our world, for all the ugliness of sin and its effects in our world, for how people take advantage of and commit injustices against others. Ultimately, we rejoice in the fact that Jesus himself will right those wrongs. This is what Mary rejoiced in. Mary rejoiced knowing that, okay, we're under the Roman Empire, but one day a, a great king will come, and he will reign, and he will reign triumphantly over his world. And so he has come to not just bring a personal nature of salvation for Mary, but he is coming that he is going to reorient the world in accord with his glory. For those who are mighty and who are not humble, for those who are rich and who are not humble, for those who, are, who consider themselves great but will not kneel their hearts before this king, they will be cast into his judgment. And those who submit themselves under and rejoice in and enjoy the blessing of being known by God and clinging close to Christ, they are the ones who will enjoy the riches and the pleasures of his kingdom. And lest we think ourselves out of line on this, we only have to consider Jesus who came. He came to, he was not born a king in a kingdom. He was born to a poor virgin Mary, born in a humble manger. He walked a life where he was mocked, he was ridiculed. He walked a life where he was scorned, he was afflicted. And he did not walk to a great inauguration or to a great coronation. He walked to a certain crucifixion. Our Lord sets the model for us of humility and of the humiliation that he endured that we might see him in his exaltation and might trust that by his humiliation in the cross, we might enjoy salvation through him.
And so, it shows us the personal nature, it shows the broad, vast-reaching manner in which God is going to overturn the evil and the destructiveness of this world. It calls us to sit under the authority of His Word to measure our own humility. The humble do a better job of rejoicing than the prideful. The prideful rejoice in themselves, the humble rejoice in the one that is outside them, the King who has come for them. And thirdly, this salvation confirms God's faithfulness to His people. Lastly, as we conclude, I know time is short, in verse 54 and 55, Mary says in rejoicing, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to His offspring, to forever. This prayer of Mary is remarkably similar to another prayer spoken by a woman who delighted in the unexpected pregnancy that she enjoyed Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you want to write that down and go look at it later and compare them, that's Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 2. But Mary's God-centered prayer rejoiced in a God who continually proved Himself faithful to His people. And so as we look at the coming of Jesus and the salvation that we enjoy in Him, we see that it is the height of ignorance, yet it is so often something that we, myself included, so easily believe that this Jesus who came once will not come again. Or this Jesus who came once and came and walked that humble road all the way to crucifixion will not be with you as you are prone to distrust Him or believe that He does not have your best interests at heart. No, Mary tells us, Mary rejoices in the fact He has helped His servant Israel. He remembers His mercy. Unless we think the promises of God are not for us, the ink upon which they are signed is nothing less than the blood of Jesus Christ Himself. The contract is made. The covenant is established. There is nothing that can separate you or I from the faithfulness of God or from His mercy that is especially stamped with your name on it and my name on it, dear Christian. The salvation confirms God's faithfulness to His people. Not only is He going to, and in the process of remaking the world for the glory of His name with it starting in His church, but He is, uh, as He does this, we look forward to His return one day, and we will sing of His re- rejoicing in the coming of Jesus Christ. We will sing in and we rejoice in that, and we will sing words similar to Mary in remembrance of His mercy. Salvation that we have as followers of Christ is not something that's just me and Jesus. It's a means by which God is remaking the world. He starts it in our hearts as He breaks down the walls of pride and of our own sinfulness and shows us our Savior and calls us to trust Him. But it spreads to the ends of the earth. When you're driving through dark community that has been ravaged by a storm that has knocked out power, see things that are familiar but you see that it's not the way it's supposed to be. But just as power starts to come back on, promising a, a, a remaking of that scene, what we enjoy as a church is that that power has come on. And what we enjoy as followers of Christ is the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ has been born upon us. So how can we not rejoice in God who has come to the humble and who promises to make right the wrongs of the world. And lest we think that that is beyond His capability, let us see that He started to do that in us. Let's pray together. Lord God, we, we pray that the gospel would not be a small thing to us. We pray that Jesus Christ and His coming would not be a minor occurrence 
busy menu of all that life offers. But Christ Himself would be the means by which we taste and know Your goodness and trust You with whatever it is that burdens us. Lord, help us to rejoice in our King Jesus. Help us all to consider where we need to humble ourselves under Your rule and under Your authority. Lord, help us to rejoice in Jesus because He looked upon the humble and rights the wrongs of our world. And we pray this in His name. Amen.